you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of Exodus, um, chapter 20. Um, and we are, tonight we're going to be focusing our attention on verses 16 and 17. However, we're going to read, uh, for the sake of context, we're going to read um, verses 8 through 17. And uh, these are the words of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord your God made heaven and earth the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is God's word. Uh, let's pray once more. Father, we uh, come before you and we are so glad, God, that you have given us your word. God, you don't just uh, save us and then leave us to wonder um, how we're supposed to live in a way that pleases you. But you give us your law, you give us uh, the scriptures to teach us what true righteousness looks like, to teach us what it looks like to live a life that honors and glorifies you. And so, Lord, as we uh, spend these next few moments talking about this passage and, and trying to understand what you have to say to us. Lord, I pray that you would be working in our minds and working on our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would prepare us for the message of this passage. God, I pray that you would convict us of our sins. I pray that you would convince us of our need for Christ, who is the perfect fulfillment of all of these commandments. And I pray that you would help us to rejoice in Christ's finished work. And it's in Christ's name that we ask these things. Amen. So when I was a kid, I had a, uh, a list of chores that I had to do. Um, how many of you guys have, have or have had in the past like certain chores that you had to do? Yeah? Okay. Um, so for me, my, my list was I had to... Uh, I had to mow the lawn, I had to take out the trash, and for whatever reason, I always got the job of picking up the dog poop. I don't know why, but that was, that was the one that I got saddled with, and that one was the worst. Um, <laughs> and so these, these chores, these, these jobs, were a, uh, a responsibility of mine as someone who is part of a family. Right, and you guys are the same thing. When you have to, oh, dishes. That was another one I had to do. Um, and uh, so you guys, being part of your families, you all have these individual responsibilities, right? These these things, these 
these expectations that, um, that are placed upon you simply because you're part of the family. It's, it's what you do. Have you guys heard that before? It's what you do when you're a family, right? It's how you, it's how you help one another out. It's how you, how you love one another. And in this passage, and we've been talking about the, the Ten Commandments now for a month, um, the, that is essentially what the Ten Commandments are. These are the family responsibilities of God's people. These are the expectations that God places upon his children who are in a covenant relationship with him. Um, and that's kind of the, the, the tie-in, if you will, to that, that illustration. Um, we have been talking for the last few weeks about kind of the relationship between the law and the gospel and how we've said and tried to reiterate over and over again that we do not have a relationship with God on the basis of fulfilling all of these commandments. We come to God, like Pastor Aaron said this morning, which I thought was awesome, we come to God through Christ and being transformed by the gospel, being transformed by his grace, we then live out this, these commandments. And so it is impossible for us to live this way if we do not have the help of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, he, he kind of points out uh, that these commandments that were given to uh, the nation of Israel, um, there is nothing wrong with them in and of themselves, but the, the defect is in the fact that uh, human beings, we, because we are sinful and because we're broken, we can't, we can't do these things, right? We often break these laws of God, uh, whether like, you know, it's adultery that happens in the heart or murder that happens in the heart. We, uh, we often break God's laws. And so what the law does is it confronts us with the reality that, that we fall short, that we need someone to step in and fulfill the law in our place because we have no capacity to do that. And so what we need to feel First and foremost, I love uh, Dane Ortland. Have you guys read any of his stuff? Like he did Gentle and Lowly, and, and he did another book um, that I've been reading a little bit here and there called Deeper. And one of the things that he talks about in that book is he, he talks about a godly despair. And, and it's this idea of like when you look at the commandments of God, when you look at what is expected of you, it should cause you to despair if you are humble Right? If you're prideful, like the, the rich young man who comes to Jesus and says, uh, I have kept all of God's commands since I was a child. Right? And uh, so for, for us, if we are humble, we come and we despair of the reality, I can't do this. I can't live up to this expectation. Right? And that's when the gospel comes forth from the word of God, and it, it is such a, uh, a soothing message to our souls because we recognize that we are sinners and we desperately need a savior who is perfect and who can stand uh, in the gap for us, who can bridge this, uh, this chasm between us and a holy God. And that is what Jesus did when he fulfilled the law of God. 
And so now with, when we have the knowledge of that, the knowledge of the fact that Christ has already reconciled us to God, we no longer relate to God in such a way where we are trying to obey in order to make him love us. But now we obey because we are responding to the fact that he already loves us. It's, it's a completely different motivation. It's a, gospel versus, it's a gospel motivation versus a guilt motivation. And so tonight we are talking about these last two commandments that God gives to Moses and Moses shares with the people of Israel. And we are asking the question, uh, since we're using this metaphor of these are the family responsibilities of God's people, um, we are asking the question, what exactly uh, is expected of God's people in these commandments, right? Well, the fir- uh, there's two things that we're pulling out of this passage of Scripture. The first expectation is that God's people live a life of truthfulness. That God's people live a life of truthfulness. The second expectation is that God's people live a life of thankfulness. So truthfulness is the first expectation, and thankfulness is the second expectation. So let's look at, uh, look with me at verse 16 for a moment, where it says this. It says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So this is the ninth commandment here. Uh, And what's interesting about this is a lot of times people will just reduce this down to you should not lie. Now, that's that's true in of itself. And there are other passages of Scripture that certainly condemn lying. Um, But what's interesting is it says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And one of the reasons, scholars believe, one of the reasons that this is a commandment is because in other portions of the first five books of the law, God establishes this principle that the death penalty is carried out on the basis of two witnesses or more, two or more witnesses. And so to bear false witness against your neighbor in this culture could have extremely bad consequences, okay? And so God is teaching his people uh, that, you, uh, that you guys and me and, and these Israelites in their context, they need to speak the truth about their neighbor, right? Um, and what's interesting is even though this specific instance is talking about, you know, in the, possibly in the context of a, you know, a we could think of it in like a, a court context where you, you tell the truth under oath kind of thing. Um, this is not the only place where God talks about lying in the Old Testament or in the Bible, uh, as we said already. In fact, in, uh, I believe it's Proverbs 6, uh, 19, uh, 6, 16 through 19, God gives this list of seven things that, that he hates. And guess what makes the list twice? Lying. Look with me at uh, Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. And it says this, There are six things the Lord hates, 
seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed blood innocent that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So you guys catch that? A lying uh, a lying tongue and one who bears false wit- false witness. So lying makes the list of the seven things that God hates twice. So it is safe to say that God desires that we as his people uh, live truthful lives. There's another passage that I want you guys to take a look at, and it's the it's in the book of Colossians. Um, if you turn to Colossians chapter 3, If we can pull it up here. Okay, Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says this. It says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so Paul in Colossians uh, is is giving the same exhortation to uh, the, the New Testament church. And he's saying, he's saying, put away lying because that's not who you are anymore. You have put off that, that old person, the one who uh, was uh, who you were before you came into a relationship with the living God. That person is dead, right? And now you have put on Christ and you have put on the new man who is being renewed in the image of your creator. Now, that's interesting in and of itself. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday, and we were talking about a definition of sin. And if you think about it, if we, as, God, as God's creation, as human beings, are created in God's image, that means that in some sense, we are meant to reflect what God is like right? And if God is truth, like for instance, John 14, 6, where you have Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? And so if we who have been created in God's image are meant to reflect the image of Christ, then it is absolutely inconsistent for us as people who are being renewed into that image to lie in any fashion, right? I was reading a statistic recently where they said, I'm trying to think, they said the average person, when they were being honest, said that they tell at least two to three lies a day, right? This is your average person, at least two, two to three lies a day, right? And these things are not, uh, they're, they're not necessarily conscious, right? Sometimes, like to give you guys a little snapshot of my own uh, my own uh, brokenness and sinfulness. Um, like for me, like I kind of struggle with people pleasing. And so a lot of times I won't actually tell the truth about how I'm feeling in a particular situation. And so my wife lovingly and graciously will be like, tell me how you really feel. You know, tell me what you're really thinking, right? And so she draws that out of me because sometimes I'm afraid to, to say how I'm actually feeling, Right. And that's just a really simple example of ways that we don't tell the truth that a lot of times we rationalize and say are okay, 
uh, I was, uh, I, so I took Latin when I was in, I think, fifth or sixth grade. And uh, um, so it was one of those, like, homeschool co-op things. And so it wasn't, like, super well organized. Um, but my parents would ask me, uh, did you do your Latin homework? And for probably, I'd say a solid month of the class, I said yes. I did not do the homework for a solid month. And uh, I remember when my, uh, my teacher uh, called my parents and told them, Chris hasn't turned in any of his homework in a month. And my dad came and let's just say uh, there, was, there was a talking to and there may or may not have been a spanking involved. Um, <laughs> lying never, ever works out. It is always, always better to tell the truth. One, because it is what God desires for us as his people, right? Because God is in himself the standard of what is true, but also because lying actually uh, breaks our relationships. It ruins the trust that we have with, or that other people place, uh, you know, in us, and it, and it breaks that trust. And so lying actually, uh, rather than bringing people together, it actually tears people apart. And so we, as God's people, need to strive to live truthful lives, to live lives of truthfulness. So my question for us as we're thinking through this, this commandment to, to not bear false witness against your neighbor or even these other passages as we're thinking about God's commandment to live lives of truthfulness, is there, is there areas, are there areas of your lives that you can think of maybe where you don't always tell the truth? Maybe it's, maybe it's kind of like the situation that I described where uh, it's not that you're uh, out and out you know, telling a lie. You're just not necessarily telling the whole truth. You're just not necessarily uh, giving, uh, giving the whole picture, right? The whole story. Uh, another example of, of that might be, um, let's say someone hurt your feelings and uh, rather than telling the whole story, Maybe you, you tell the story just a little bit differently so that when you're sharing it with someone else, the other person looks like the big jerk in the story. It's tempting, right? Because you don't want to say, well, actually, there was two of us in this situation and, and I, you know, I had a part to play in it and the other person had a part to play in it. But rather, it, it is tempting for us just to tell the story like, well, they did all the wrong and I am the innocent victim, Right? It's, it's a temptation for us. But what God desires for us as his people who are being renewed into his image is that we should live lives of truthfulness. However, uh, the reality, the sad reality, is oftentimes we don't live up to this standard. Oftentimes we break this commandment of God and once again, we are faced with our need. But that's when the gospel shines brightly in our lives. And we uh, hope in the Savior, Jesus, who, as the Apostle John said in his gospel, who came from the Father, filled with grace and with truth. So Jesus 
recognizing that we are weak and often do not tell the truth, came from the Father with grace and truth, and he lived a life of truthfulness because he knew that we as his people would fall short of this commandment, that we as his people would break God's law. And so he came and lived this life of truthfulness. And then not only that, but he died in our place, bearing the punishment for our lies. And not only that, he rose again to prove to our hearts that when we fall short, that when we lie, when we break God's commandment, that there is forgiveness through Christ, that there is forgiveness for our sins. And so if you recognize now that there is some parts of your life where you are not telling the truth, I would encourage you, turn from that, tell the truth, and also rejoice in the fact that Jesus perfectly lived a life of truthfulness because he knew that you wouldn't. And he paid the penalty for the sins that you have committed in that area. Rejoice in the hope that the gospel brings in that situation. And so the first, the first family responsibility that you might call it is that God calls us to live a life of truthfulness in every area of our lives. But not only that, he also calls us to live a life of thankfulness. Look with me at verse 17, where he says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything else that is your neighbor's. How many of you are guilty of coveting your neighbor's donkey? Anybody? Joel? Way to be honest. Way to be honest. (laughs) Now, so obviously... Uh, I am assuming not many of you covet, I just said covet, Uh, not many of you covet your neighbor's ox or donkey, Um, but we do live in a a culture uh, that that, uh, really kind of um, puts forth this idea of the American dream, this idea of success, right? Look at what other people have and go and get it for yourself. It is really rooted in covetousness. It is really rooted in uh, this desire of the heart uh, that, that is uh, envious of what other people have and you go and get it for yourself kind of mentality. And so this final command that, that God gives to Moses and that Moses gives to the people and by extension to us who are now reading God's word Uh, This final command moves uh, even uh, a little bit more like Jesus in the sense that a lot of these commandments were external uh, on the surface of it, right? Uh, Do not murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal, right? But now it presses in further to the heart. So what Jesus did in the New Testament, God is already doing a little bit of here in this passage where coveting is something that you can do and no one will even know other than God. Coveting is something that you can do in your heart and maybe not even know it yourself. And so what this word means, uh, the Hebrew word to covet, it literally just means to desire. 
Or sometimes it can be translated to, to uh, find joy in or to take pleasure in, right? So looking at something and, that someone else has and desiring it for yourself. Now, what I want to say to you guys is I'm not saying that it's wrong for you to desire to, you know, have a good job one day. I'm not saying it's wrong for your desire to go to a good school or to, um, you know, uh, have some of the blessings that God has, uh, that God has graciously uh, offered to us. But what I am saying is it is wrong for us to look at what someone else has and feel that we deserve the exact same thing that they have. This is actually one of the problems that I have with the social justice movement is it is built on the, uh, on the, the idea of envy and covetousness, looking at what someone else has, and because they have it, I should have it too. That is absolutely, totally against what the Bible teaches about contentment and being grateful for what God has given to us. And the reality is, is that covetousness at the root of it all, if you see covetousness happening in your life, it is because there is a lack of thankfulness in your heart. If you see covetousness happening in your life, it is because there is a lack of thankfulness in your heart. Instead of thanking God for what he has provided for us, Rather, we get angry that God has given us different blessings than he's maybe given to our friends or to our family members. I'll give you, uh, I guess I'm just telling you guys all of my uh, sinfulness tonight. Um, I'll give you another example. When I, was, when I was waiting for the Lord to bring me here so that I could be here with you guys, I didn't know that he was bringing me here to be with you guys. But as I was waiting in the process um, my good friend Justin, whom I actually talked about in our leaders meeting uh, tonight, he was the, the youth pastor at the church and is still the youth pastor at the church that we, uh, that we attended before coming here. And I remember there was, there was this, this covetousness in my heart because my dream was to be a youth pastor, was to be uh, in ministry and to, to preach and to teach and disciple and love on students and my, one of my good friends had this thing, and I wanted it. I wanted what he had. And to the point where I was sad that I did not have that thing. And that is what covetousness can look like in your heart and in your life. When you see what someone else has, and you become sad at the fact that, you, that God hasn't given it to you, too. Or you can become angry that God hasn't given it to you too. I got angry too. <laughs> and that's covetousness in and of itself. It's this desire for something that God has given to someone else saying, I deserve that. I should have that. God, why them and not me? You see, we often look at the blessings that God has apportioned to someone else and think that if God doesn't give that to me, or if God doesn't give that to you, that God has wronged you in some way, or that God has slighted you in some way. 
But the truth is, is that God has not wronged us if he doesn't give us the same thing that he gives to someone else. God has not wronged you if he gives you a different blessing than he gave to somebody else. He has not wronged uh, the other person if he gives you something that he didn't give to them. Because ultimately, God is free to give uh, good things to whomever he wishes, whenever he wishes. That is the nature of being God. He gets to do what he wants. And we, as God's creation, we submit to his sovereign will for our lives. And see, this is the, 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 the thing that we need to keep in mind is that every single good thing that you have in your life is by grace because the only thing that you deserve is death. The only thing that I deserve, that any of us deserve, is death. You know why? Because Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so if we get anything other than death, God has been very good to us, okay? If you get to live one more day, God has been very good to you. If you have family, God has been very good to you. If you have food, God has been very good to you. A lot of times what happens is we wind up looking at the common blessings without thankfulness, without a heart of gratitude for what God has given to us. And the result of that is the result of you know, not having a thankful heart is that we begin to look around at the blessings that God has given to other people and we think, that looks pretty good. I'll take one of those, you know, or that, that looks great. I, I would like to have that too. Rather than having the heart that God teaches us to have, like in Matthew 6, where when Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, he says, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. So this idea that, that what God desires for us, for the, the, the position of our hearts, is to say, God, whatever you want, what you give me, I will receive with thankfulness because I recognize I don't deserve anything. And what you give to someone else, I will rejoice because my God is so good. My God is so gracious that he would give that thing to the person that you are looking at. So my question for us is, as we're thinking about this commandment, maybe there's something in your life that you, uh, something that you are coveting right now. Is there something that you're coveting right now? I'm not asking you to, to answer out loud. I'm just asking you to honestly assess because it is so easy to look at what other people have and say, I should have that too. When in reality, what we need to say is, I should have nothing, but God has given me everything in Christ. You know, it's really easy to look at other people who have uh, 
it's always been a dream of mine to have a nice truck, you know, um, like a, you know, my big, big truck, big wheels, you know, all that stuff, right? Uh, but the Lord in his providence has said, no, I'm not giving you a truck. And I need to be okay with that, right? Um, and so uh, that's just a silly example. Or maybe, maybe it's like you have desired uh, to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and God hasn't brought that person into your life, right? It's really easy to look at other people and say, why them and not me, right? Or maybe uh, it's the, the latest video game system for those of you who are gamers and you're like, wow, that's like $1,000 or whatever, or $12,000 and it just keeps going up and up. Uh, that's why I don't play video games anymore. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it's really easy to look at the other person who has that and say, God, why do they get to have it and I don't get to have it, right? And so my encouragement for us and the encouragement of this passage is that we, as God's people, need to cultivate an attitude of thankfulness for everything that God has given us. We need to pray also that God would open our minds and open our hearts to the reality that we are often desiring other other things that, that God has given to people that he has not given to us. We need to be aware of the reality that we covet what other people have. And we need to ask God to change our hearts, to make us more grateful for the good things that God has given to us. And so as we come to a close here with this, uh, this sermon series and, and with these commandments, um, I really wanted to just uh, encourage you guys one more time that these things that we've been reading about, these, these Ten Commandments, they are not the, uh, the way that we have a relationship with God. The law does not bring us to God, okay? The gospel is what brings us to God. It's the Holy Spirit who, like we read actually in our catechism question at the beginning, is the Holy Spirit who leads us to Christ, who opens our eyes to see our need for his perfect life. The Holy Spirit reveals the fact that we have broken God's law in many ways. And so he reveals that fact. He leads us to Christ and he points us to Christ. He says, look at this one who has perfectly fulfilled God's law, and not only that, has paid the penalty for the fact that you have broken God's law. And the Holy Spirit says, trust in him, cling to him, put all your hope in him, because only he can save you. And at that point, when the Holy Spirit brings us into the family of God, it's at that point when our Father begins to reveal some of the family responsibilities that we have as his children. But those family responsibilities don't earn his love. He already loves us and then says, as part of the family, here's some things that I would like you to do. Does that make sense? And so my hope for us in this series is not that we would learn a list of things to do, right? All right, well, I can't covet. Got that. You know, I can't lie. All right, I got that, right? It's not that I want us to to learn a list of do's and don'ts, 
But what I want us to see, first and foremost, is that we are in desperate need of a Savior. We are sinners, and we break God's law constantly. But I also want us to see that Jesus is perfect, that Jesus is the great Savior who perfectly fulfilled these things. And now, because you are united to him in faith, if you are united to him, he gives you his Holy Spirit, and now you can actually begin to live these things out in your daily life. You guys recognize that you have that ability now because the Holy Spirit lives in you? Uh, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, he says, the, the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. And guess what the context of that is? The context of that is in putting sin to death and in living righteously the way that God would desire us to live. And he says that God has empowered us by his Spirit to live righteously to live out these things that we see here in this passage. And so God rescues us through the gospel and he brings us into his family and then reveals those responsibilities that we as his family members uh, get to joyfully uh, do together. Let's pray and then we'll jump into our uh, small groups.